You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 175 of So You Want to Be a Writer. On this mini-sode, my name is Valerie Koo. Well, my name's Valerie Koo, whether it's a mini-sode or not, I suppose. <laughs> I was going to say, does it change? <laughs> and I'm here with the very, very clever Alison Tate. What's been happening in Al's world? <laughs> oh, I don't know, but I'm always Alison Tate in it. Although, yes, actually, I'm right. not because sometimes I am A.L.Tate. I know, yes, it's quite so different. there. Mm. And sometimes your other things as well. Yes, I've been known to be other things. Um, yes. So, yes, what am I uh, – gosh, uh, it's been one of those weeks and I've been busy with school talks and all of those kinds of things. been doing some queening as we discussed last oh, queening, week. There was yes. a queening in my life. Um, so, yeah, so queening takes up an awful lot of my energy. It's surprising how draining it can actually be spending a day doing uh, back-to-back school talks and workshops. Um, yes. Particularly when you're giving the same one. So right. Yes. Uh, so you can actually give the same workshop four times in a row, back to back, as I have done mm. this week. Um, and you basically, it's, it's actually highly amusing because I have to remind myself, like I find myself standing in the middle of these talks thinking, have I said this? Did I tell oh. this class that? Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> Where am I actually up to? So it's a really interesting thing, but I find when I do that, I have, you know, they everyone always says, oh, you know, you should try and do these things without notes. Um, I need notes. I have to keep my notes with me because it's the only way that I can keep track of actually what I've said and what I haven't. It's really- <laughs> I, w- I went to this uh, seminar once and the guy who's usually a fantastic presenter, uh, he it was a, w- a full day. So it was the same group for the whole day though. And yeah. like he told this story, like it was a 10-minute story. So it wasn't just a quick story, a 10, 15-minute story about mm. something that happened. And – an hour later, he told the same story with the same flourishes, the same, um, you know, intonations. <laughs> There's a man and who it, lost his place. <laughs> people were just looking around going, Does he, do we tell him that he's told that story? <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't the next day. It was like an hour later. It was the weirdest oh. thing. Well, it's a funny thing though because you do, I mean, that – He's obviously just totally lost track of where he was up to, but it's very difficult. Like you stand there and you're thinking to yourself, did I – did I already say this? And even as you're saying it, you're thinking to yourself, um, you're looking closely. I'm looking closely at their faces to see if I've said this before mm. because, you know, kids will tell you. They yeah. don't have no qualms. You've already said that. So, um, yeah, it is. it can be difficult. It's very draining because you're putting out a lot of energy um, yeah. over and over and over again because you need to make sure that whoever comes to Workshop 4 gets the same level of engagement and energy from you as the people from workshop one yeah um, absolutely 
So I find what I find is I, I leave the school and I just like I generally get the get the train home and I just slump in a corner and stare vaguely out the window for the oh, entire Yeah, I totally mm. get it. Totally mm. get it. Sometimes you're it's actually awesome. too tired to sleep. Oh, yeah. I remember one. I remember I did some talks. It was again four in a row back to back and I was out at a school out in the western suburbs and then I had to get myself from there to home um, and I sort of came via, you know, sort of had to come back into into the city and then on the train and then I had to pick up the car up, you know, up the coast a bit further because my husband was at some event and so he was going to get a lift back with someone and so I picked the car up and then I had to drive, you know, in the dark Ooh. through the roadworks at Berry in the rain oh. and I got home and I honestly it was it was like if I'd had matchsticks to keep my eyes open mm. by that point I was exhausted it was really yeah. really hard day um so yeah never underestimate how much energy is involved in talking yeah absolutely now <laughs> this is a mini-sode and of course our mini-sodes are what we do in between our regular programming because we got a lot of feedback from people saying that they couldn't wait a whole week before the next episode so we're dropping these mini episodes in between so that you have something to listen to on the weekend until the next episode is released and what we usually do in our mini-sodes that's a little bit different to our regular episodes is we answer listener questions and we sometimes have mini interviews and we're going to do both in this episode. Now, of course, if you would like us to answer a question as a listener, um, please do email us podcast at writercentre.com.au. That's podcast at writercentre.com.au. And uh, hopefully your question is about writing, of course, and we would love to We did to get asked about it. our favourite NRL teams once, so we remember that? We did, we did. That was quite good. Yeah, we don't mind the other questions, of course, but hopefully no. your prime question is about writing. Hmm. Now, we have a shout-out. I love this. Are you ready? This is so cool. Okay. This um, was a review on iTunes and it's from Karen Henry Daly from the USA. I just oh. love the fact that we have listeners in America and all other parts of the world. Um, and do ping us if you're listening from another country. We would love to hear from you. We would. So Karen has said, love my daily Aussie lady time. <laughs> <laughs> That's us. We are daily Aussie lady time. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> love my daily Aussie G'day, Karen. That's all yeah, I g'day. can say. Yeah. G'day, Karen. Um, <laughs> as an American writer with a solo practice and Reiki life coaching business, a solo writing business and a solo art studio, wow, very creative, mm. I do a lot of solo. However, I've been listening to you for the entire six weeks. I put the new studio together. It actually took me longer because I kept stopping to take notes from all the great advice you give on the podcast. Love the words of wisdom, the friendly chats, and the featured authors. Love from rural New York. Oh. Wow. Hooray. And waving back from rural New South Wales. Yes. That is so cool. Thank That's... you so much, Karen. We're just so chuffed that you've taken the time to leave us a review on iTunes and that we accompany you while you put your new studio together. Wow. Look, connect with us on social media. We would love to see photos of your new studio. I'm trying to build my own studio downstairs and I would love some inspiration. Hmm. That's so cool. And best of luck with the new studio. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if anyone else does have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd really be grateful, no matter from what part of the world you are, uh, because it certainly helps us in the rankings. Now, let us move on to our listener question this week. 
It comes from Marie. And Marie has said, Hi, Val and Al. I love listening to the extra dose of your weekly podcast. Alison's recent blog post, Six Tips for Getting Back into the Swing with Your Writing, left me with a question about blogging. In the post, Alison writes, now, so Alison wrote this on her uh, blog, which is at alisontate.com. That's okay. right. We can put the link to the actual post yes. in the show notes. We'll put the link in the show notes, which you'll find at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. So Alison writes, when you blog every day, you simply find a way to fit it in. You look for story ideas everywhere and you appreciate the value of the small things and how they can be tweaked and maneuvered into big blog posts. So Marie has asked, does this daily blogging also refer to working on drafts of blog posts rather than actually publishing a blog post every day. How often would you recommend publishing a new blog post without appearing spammy? Do you have any advice for alternating blog posts between personal anecdotes, writing craft tips, book reviews, etc.? For example, one personal story per week or one writing craft post per fortnight and so on. So that is Marie's question. And okay. I think you should take it away, Al, because oh, okay. it's your post on which it's based. All right. So I should probably explain that um, within the blog post where I was talking about six tips for getting back into the swing with your writing, I was with the blogging thing. I was talking about the fact that I used to blog every day. I blogged uh, for, for several years. I blogged seven days a week on my blog, which at the time was called Life in a Pink Fibro and was very much just a, a it was like a, it was a mix of uh, personal stories and it became more writing based as people started asking me sort of more questions about writing. Um, but it was really just a, uh, me observing things and, you know, it was whatever I sort of thought about or, uh, yeah, it really was, what did I see that day and what did I think about it? Um, so it was very much a, just a, a kind of, and it was a great way I found for developing, uh, my writing voice because blogging is such an intimate form of writing. And I remember when I first started blogging eight years ago, being incredibly surprised by how intimate blogging was because I was used to writing for magazines and magazines have a very specific kind of broadcasty voice. Like you have your own voice, but it's got to fit within the realms of of the publication for which you are writing. So you've always got that publication in mind. When you start writing a blog, you're really just writing for yourself, like you, which for someone who had written for other people for such a long time was like a very much a revelation for me in many, many ways. And the other thing that really surprised me about it was that people wrote back. Um, I was really quite shocked by that <laughs> because I would put up a post and people would comment and it was, you know, you got this immediate feedback and it was a wonderful way to actually keep me invested and interested and inspired with the blog. However, after several years of writing my blog every day, I, I actually put a book together for um, for my husband and into that book I put just – I only put the posts that were relevant to us as a family or to, uh, to me as a writer or whatever. Mm. And I had 350,000 words. Wow. Let's just take a moment to consider that. And that's that. only in the book that, that you curated. This is just in the book that I curated for my oh. husband, for my family. And it's quite yeah. interesting because my sons read it now. Like they look at it now because it gives such a lovely snapshot into what our lives were like at the time and yeah. funny things they did and all sorts of different things. Anyway, so I got this uh, 350,000 words was a big wake-up call to me because I realized that, you know, I was still writing novels and all sorts of things. I had manuscripts on the go, but I realized that I had put, 
you know, essentially three contemporary adult novels <laughs> in a, in two years onto my blog, you know, and yeah. so if not more. more so more, I, I kind more. of, yeah, I kind of um, – I reassessed at that point and I started blogging three times a week uh, because I was getting busier with my other sort of with my books and things like that. And now I blog once a week. So that's just the story of my blogging and how I got to it. But what, I, but I stand by the fact that if you blog every day and you're, you, you have that imperative to, to put a post up every single day, then you, you find a way to make it work. You find a way to fit it in. And this is, you know, sometimes people say to me, I don't have time to write. Well, you do. It's just a matter of making that time and making it work. And when you have that daily blog, it's something that you do every day. And it's like journaling, but in a more sort of, you know, public fashion, so mm. to speak. So the question is, you know, do, does daily blogging also refer to working on drafts of blog posts? Well, yes, if that's, if that's what you want to do. Like if you want to blog, if you want to write work on a post every day but only publish three times a week, that's entirely up to you. How often would I recommend publishing a new blog post without appearing spammy? As often as you want because at the end of the day, your blog is your space and what you do on your blog is entirely up to you. For me, the more content that you have on a blog, the more you have to share, the more reasons you have for someone to come to your website, the more reason you have for someone to discover you, the more you have to talk about on social media. So for me, it's never a bad thing as far as that stuff goes. I, I don't I don't see why it would be spammy. People either choose to follow your blog, they might subscribe to your blog, or they choose to follow you on social media, etc. Um, they can unfollow you if they don't love it. It's, it's mm. your decision. You decide what you want to do with it. And as far as an editorial schedule, like do I have advice for alternating blog posts between you know, personal anecdotes, writing craft tips, et cetera. Again, it comes back to what's working for you. Like it's, it's, um, I do know people who have very strict editorial schedules and they'll do one personal anecdote on Monday and they'll do a writing craft story on Wednesday and they'll do a book review on Friday. And that mm. works for them because it allows them to organize their time because mm. what it comes down to is time. So it allows them to organize their time and organize their thoughts so they know what they're going to blog about at any given time because that's the other big question what do you blog about every day or what do you blog about um you know three times a week so if it if it helps you to put that editorial schedule in place to put a calendar together to have a structure around that then go for it but if you're the if you're kind of more like I am which is the sort of like I just sit down and think about what am I going to write about today? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? What do I want to share? What do I want people to know about? Do I have any useful information to impart? This is kind of how I approach a blog post, like what am I going to do? And so, you know, you'll either end up with a post about, you know, six author Instagram post uh, accounts I love, or you might mm. end up with a post about Procrusty Pup and I walking around the block. It just depends on <laughs> on what I feel like blogging about. I it, One of the things I discovered with blogging was that it was the only place in the entire universe that I could write exactly what I wanted, particularly at that time when I was doing a lot of freelance writing, I was yeah. writing novels, I was doing whatever. This was the place where nobody told me what to write. I didn't have yeah. to make it, you know, I didn't have to make it into a Clio story. I didn't have to make it mm. into a Vogue story. I could just do whatever I wanted. And that for me was is probably the number one joy of blogging is just that notion that you can write about anything that you want and then you find the people, people will find you and those people who are interested in listening to whatever it is that you want to write about. I think that that's, a, that's such a gift, you know, to find those people. Yeah. So, 
that's kind of always been my approach to blogging. It's a very, for me, it's always been a very intimate, very organic sort of thing. And I just, I just sort of, I mean, I did a lot more useful posts over the last couple of years because there were, there were questions. Lots of people were asking me questions about writing. They wanted to know what was going on. And then of course I'm sharing my writing journey. Um, I'm sharing all the different things that I'm doing. So, you know, my, my focus on my blog has probably become more writing based over the last couple of years than it ever has been. Um, but I also feel like now after all these years and with, you know, with my fourth children's book out and I've got two more coming, I feel like I've really got, you know, something to share now too, as far as the usefulness of my writing posts. So, you know, that's probably where it comes from because we've discussed my bad sense of imposter syndrome in the past. (laughs) Um, So I just, you know, I, I share the things that I, I feel like, I can help with now, yeah. mostly. Absolutely. That's a great answer, Al. So, yeah, Such absolutely. a long and involved. I hope that helps, Marie, and doesn't confuse yeah. you further. Yeah, without a doubt. I think that's fantastic. You do, and I agree with Al, you need to do what works for you and not necessarily what someone says, this is the right schedule kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely work out your own rhythm, your own routine, and, and what is actually going to be enjoyable for you because if you don't enjoy it, you're just not going to do it anyway. Mm. So let's move on to our mini interview this week. We have an interview with Maria Perisic, and this is so exciting because last month Maria won the Vogel, which is one of the most prestigious awards for an unpublished uh, author in Australia, and it's a it's been going for gee, oh. A many, many years. I can't even think. 20 that. odd, isn't it now? Yeah, um, yeah, just so many years. And uh, and it's done with Alan and Unwin and it's officially called the Australian Vogel Literary Award. And, of course, the Vogel actually refers to the Vogel, the bread company, who established this award many, many years ago. Oh, it was established in 1980, actually, so a long time. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, and I do remember that my friend won the vocal once and she was handed a $20,000 check and three loaves of bread, um, <laughs> <laughs> which she thought was kind of cute. Um, so, yes, the winner does get $20,000 and is published by Alan and Unwin. So Maria Perisic's uh, uh, book is called The Lost Pages and she can tell us all about it in our chat. So let's have a listen to Maria. Thanks so much for joining us today, Maria. You're most welcome. Congratulations. You have won the Vogel. Oh, I mean, it doesn't really get much better than that, right? Uh, are you, are you, have you come back down to earth? A, a little bit. I'm, st- I'm still float, floating up there quite a bit. I'm totally thrilled, of course. Oh, absolutely. Now, you won the Vogel for your book, The Lost Pages, which is has quite an unusual premise. Now, for readers who haven't got the book yet, can you tell us what it's about? Um, well, it takes the form of a memoir written by Franz Kafka's friend and mentor, Max Broad. And it tells about the time when Max's fame begins to be threatened by Kafka's emerging greatness. So it's about this rivalry between these two men in literature and in love. And what in the world made you think, oh, I think I'm going to write this fictional memoir on Kafka's friend, Max. How did this idea even form in your head? 
It's a bit of a strange story because I wasn't really a huge Kafka fan. Um, I just happened to read this article in the New York Times back in 2012. And this article was about this crazy court case surrounding these Kafka papers that nobody really knew very much about. And the story was just so absurd. It seemed I could hardly believe it was a true story. Mm-hmm. So it was around these papers that um, Max Broad had taken with him from Prague when he fled there at the beginning of the Second World War and he went to um, what was then Palestine. Mm-hmm. And he published a lot of Kafka's, with the bulk of Kafka's work posthumously from that suitcase of papers that he took. And then time passed and the papers got handed down and it belonged to these, or it was in the hands of these two septuagenarian cat ladies who felt like the papers were their private property, that they could sell them or do what they liked with them. And then there was this legal dispute between them, um, the Israeli National Library and a German literary archive. All of them were just fighting for these papers, but nobody really knew what was in the papers. So it was all quite Kafkaesque. <laughs> and then the more I, I, I sort of started researching into Kafka and Broad, the more I got interested because what I had thought was true about Kafka actually wasn't. Like when I thought about Kafka, I thought about a sort of general image of him that I think comes from his stories, kind of like a depressive and neurotic man, really dark. But actually I found Kafka wasn't like that at all. He was really funny and charismatic and charming. Um, he was a, a kind of a health and fitness fanatic and he used to practice this, this like fitness technique called the Müller technique, which was kind of like an exercise craze of, of the early 20th century, a bit like aerobics. Mm. And he was also, um, really successful at his job. He worked in accident insurance. He did a lot of pro bono work. He invented all these safety devices for factory workers and even the civilian safety helmet. So it was really not the image that I, that I had had I'd had of Kafka, this kind of safety conscious health nut. And, and then when I started reading about Max, I found a similar kind of reversal. The Max that I had thought, again, the public image was a successful man. He was kind of like Kafka's agent, really maybe a ladies man. Um, but then when I researched about him, I found actually he suffered from this severe spinal condition for which he had to wear this awful full body harness as a child. And even that didn't stop him from developing a hunchback later in life. So there was this, this kind of interplay between these two men, which I found really interesting. And so you're doing all this research at what point, because you're doing this research because you found it interesting. It sounds like at what point did you think there's a novel in this? Yeah, it's sort of hard to to gauge that now. I just was thinking about it and I, I was talking to my partner and some friends about it and I just, I don't know, the idea developed very slowly and I, I kind of, at first I approached it like I was just sort of playing with the idea in theory that I could write a novel about it and then I sort of thought, I wonder if I could write a plan and then I did that and I thought, I wonder if I can, you know, write some character profiles and I did that and it sort of just really went one step at a time like that. And at what point did you think I'm going to enter the Vogel? Um, 
I had been sitting on the draft for a few years and I had done many drafts. Yeah, I bet for about for four about four years and I'd done about three or four drafts and I'd always wanted to enter the Vogel and I was turning thirty five, so <laughs> I had to it was like do or die. I had yeah. to just put it in and and I did. And I, at the time I put it in, I did feel really fatigued with it. And, you know, I'd been working on it for so long and I, I really kind of didn't believe in it. So I was just totally bowled over when I found out that I won. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, right. So describe that to me when you did find out. What what was going through your mind? Did you think you had a chance or, you know? Well, because it's a very long time period. So you submit in May at the latest and then you wait all these months um, and I kind of really put it out of my mind and then I, I got this email from someone at Allen and Unwin requesting to meet with me but not saying what it was about and I, I kind of took me a while to even kind of remember the, the, the Vogels really and that it was connected with Allen and Unwin and then um, I sort of thought like the thought did come but what if I've won but I kind of didn't let myself think that because I didn't want to be disappointed, you know. Sure. Yeah, it was a huge surprise. Wow, very exciting. Now, in that time, so you started it obviously more than four years ago. Yeah. Uh, and did you, in those four years, did you write other stuff? I wrote a few short stories, but pretty much that was what I was working on the whole time. I wasn't writing words every day, mm-hmm. but I was either you know, writing intensively or thinking about it, putting it away. Yeah. What sustained you through four years of doing that? I, I don't really know. It was, it, it was really, it really was, I think, the, the character of Max. I'd really, he came, the, the, his voice came to me kind of quite late and I, I really felt so engaged by his character and I just really enjoyed spending time with, with him and the other characters. I, that was the only thing. The, the writing process itself, I found it really enjoyable. I just love it. So if you enjoyed spending time with Max and the other characters, when you finished the book, did you feel lonely? It <laughs> 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 was no more. A little, a little bit. I feel, I do feel a bit, a bit sad now. I've started another project though, so it's, it's okay. I'm, I'm not totally alone. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you writing now? Um, I'm working on another novel. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to say too much about it, but it's completely different kind of world. But it's also a kind of mixture of fact and fiction a little bit. Mm. Now, tell us about uh, your uh, – do you write full-time now or do you have a day job? No, I have a day job. Mm-hmm. So tell us what you do. So I work as an English language teacher at Deakin University and I teach academic English and it's a full-time job um, and I just have my writing practice around that. Mm-hmm. Fortunately now because of the Vogel, I'm able to take a big chunk of time off yeah. and so I will be writing full-time for, for a, a little bit in the future. I'm very excited about that. Yeah. So up until this point, while you have been fitting it around your day job, on a practical level, tell us, like, do you do it on weekends only or do you wake up really early or do you do it late at night? When do you actually write and do you write in scheduled time or when you can? 
kind of all of the above. Like the, when I was drafting, uh, I tended to only be able to do it when I had my apartment to myself. I lived with my partner and he would go away for work for like three months. And I would just think, great, that's my window. And literally <laughs> go away. All my sounds so mean. Uh, all I would just do everything. I would get up really early every day before work and I write before work. And then when I come home and at weekends, I set myself a daily quota of a thousand words a day. And sometimes I wrote more, um, but I was never allowed to write less. And I just did that every day for those three months. And that's how I got my drafting and redrafting done in those periods. But a lot of the time in between was really just not looking at it and sort of allowing my mind to work out the problems from a distance. Hmm. What problems? Oh, just things I knew weren't working with the story or narrative troubles that I, you know, things I was unhappy with, particularly the ending I struggled with quite a lot. Yeah. So your partner goes away for three months and you can go, you can go nuts writing and, and do, do a lot. What happens when your partner comes back? What happens to your writing? Well, I, I still, I still was writing at weekends, um, but I wasn't able to keep up that intensity. I found that I find that in those intense writing periods, it's helpful for me to kind of not be talking to too many people. It sounds a bit mad, but um, because in my job, I have to, I spend all my day talking and there's so many students and working with everybody. I really need to have that quiet place to feel productive with writing. And even with my partner there, it was, I find it really kind of drain, not that I find him draining, but it's, it's kind of exhausting to then be trying to get into those characters as well. Sure. So you, um, you've written a fictional account of characters that are real. So mm. did you, what did you have to do to balance it for it to still be realistic, but then to tell the story that you wanted? How did you, um, uh, make sure that you were getting things right as well? Right. Um, this was pretty tricky because I didn't want too much of the voices of the real people to sort of invade my Kafka and my Max. Mm. So I did enough um, research around kind of like practical historical research, but I really tried to avoid reading their work at that time because I didn't, I really wanted to just have my own characters. Mm. And um, did you, you did a whole bunch of research and at some point a novel thought, you know, thought emerged. Did you then, um, know your structure as in know your plot or did you start with a seed of an idea and then let it kind of unfold? Before I even started writing, I wrote plans and plans and plans, so many plans, different characters, different narrative structures, different voices, and I sort of mapped out each of those with chapter plans and eliminated a whole bunch and then settled on the final one. And that was probably the most difficult thing of the whole process is deciding what to go with and then what to chuck. And then you've sort of, you're committed then. Yes. So yeah. let's talk practically speaking. I like getting into the actual specific sure. creative process of people. When you wrote um, those plans, did you just write them, you know, like in a Word document in a linear fashion or did you have post-it notes that you stuck all over that like storyboarding and a screenplay? How did you actually do that? I did first of all start just with a Word document and just literally dot points, this happens, this happens, this happens. And then I um, kind of 
needed to put those kind of action points into a scene. So, so how that would be kind of delivered in the text. Uh, and I did that also just on a word document, but then I kind of drew these graphs of, of like conflict and action. And I just sticky taped lots of A3 papers together <laughs> and drew these graphs. And I had those up on the wall. Um, and then I did, after I had my chapters and my scenes organized, then I had little cards, like index cards with a scene and I could move them around in different ways. So I tried all of those different things when I was drafting and also redrafting, I would change all of those things again. Mm. What was the hardest part about the process? The whole process, the whole... The whole process. Yeah. The I, publication, I think, you know. Yeah, I think starting it and, and set, settling on a structure and a point of view, is it was the hardest for me. Once it was going, it just got up its own momentum and it was just really enjoyable. Great. Did you experiment by writing from different points of view to start to then decide I did I had almost a completely different book to start with with a female protagonist and in the current present time and all totally different things and it just kind of it was just it felt really flat I just wasn't interested in it so it was really just trial and error I suppose and what was the most rewarding thing about the process, with the exception, obviously, of winning? <laughs> Just the, the writing itself. I really, I was so surprised because I was very scared to attempt a novel. I'd never written a novel before. I really had didn't have a lot of creative writing experience. And I, you know, I was so scared of not being able to do it and getting writer's block and getting stuck. And I think I, I just got really lucky because it, it just it was just so much fun. It kind of carried me along with it after a while. And I, it, it was, I, I couldn't have stopped even if I had wanted to stop at, at a point when I was writing. Wow. And so when you were younger, like at school or whatever, did you at that point think, oh, I'm going to be a writer one day or, or, or what? It was always my, my secret hope, I suppose. I always loved literature and, um, you know, I used to write poems in high school and things like that, just secretly. Um, but I never seriously really considered it as, yeah. Really? No, I, I, I kind of, I know, I never really, really seriously thought about it. So what did you think you would do? I don't know. I just, I'm just very bad at planning. I, I guess I just sort of like very hand to mouth kind of person. Yeah, I just didn't honestly didn't think about it. Wow. So now that you can see it's absolutely viable, like I said, it doesn't get better than winning the vocal, right? Especially for an, an unpublished but now published author. Exactly. Uh, now that you can see it's absolutely viable, have you made plans for your writing career? Well, I'm, I, I hope so. I, I'm, I'm making plans for my next novel and I'm tr- trying to pick up some small writing projects and things. Um, the next, I'm having a year off my job now. Um, so I can sort of see what happens. It's very exciting time. So thank you so much, Maria. Really appreciate your time. And again, well done. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. So there you go, Maria Perisic. Well, it's really interesting, isn't it? And it does, um, it does like the whole winning, like the whole winning awards thing, like entering mm. competitions can be so incredibly valuable to an author, you know, to be discovered, to make their yes. way out of the slush pile. Um, sure. And it can be, you know, it can also be, make a big difference to an author's 
to an author's income as well. So that the prize money can go a long way to helping you to actually fund the writing of your next book, um, which is actually discussed. It's been there's an interesting series. I don't know if you've come across it yet, uh, Valerie, but our WA presenter Annabelle Smith, who teaches. Um, creative writing over yeah. in Western Australia for us. She has been working on a series um, of blog posts called What to Expect When You're Expecting a Book. Yes. Um, and she's doing it with uh, a co-author who's named uh, Jane Rawson. That's right, Jane Rawson. So the yeah. two of them have teamed up and they both give their opinion um, on different aspects of of um, you know of, of having a book published, etc. And one of the posts that they've done is is what to expect when you're expecting a book number four, and it's all about mm. prizes. Um, yes. It's about literary awards. You know how to get your book nominated. Um, how you know being long listed, short listed, will winning a literary prize affect your career? And I mean, in the case of the Vogels, it obviously does because it gets your book published. You know, if you mm. if you're you're not published. Um, at all, yes. um, but it's a quite an interesting series, and I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes to that post because I think it's yeah. worth um, having a read to understand Absolutely. the reality of of how these things actually work. You know, yeah, fantastic. And of course, mm. you, you'll find the show notes at so you want to be a writer dot com dot au, along with any other links that we mention in our podcasts. All right, that brings us to the end of this mini-sode and uh, we look forward to coming back to our regular programming in our next episode. So in the meantime, where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Altate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Tate Writer. I'm so glad you finally embraced Instagram after all those years. I know you, that you've been on no, it for a while now. but I was I, hesitant. I was reticent. Yes. I was all of the sense. Yes. But at the end of the day, I realised that um, it, I think it just takes a little bit of getting your headspace around how it works. And once I'd done a bit more reading and looked at it and thought about the kinds of things that um, – you know, as far as, you know, building a brand or building a profile, you know, I realized that there were f sort of probably four or five strands to the kinds of things I tend to share that actually did work pictorially. Mm. And um, the, you know, as I spoke to the um, people at my CBCA talk last week, which we discussed in length at, at the la in the last episode, um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think the biggest boost to my Instagram ever was getting myself a very photogenic dog. <laughs> Procrasty Pup is like is Instagram gold. So, you know, at the end of the day, I finally had something I could photograph because I don't I don't tend to photograph my children or, you know, yes. too many intimate details of my life. But he he's, uh, you know, I exploit the dog, let's face it, people. I do. It's true. I'm like, well, get yourself a dog. Get a cat. <laughs> yeah, I do the same thing with my cats, which yeah. you can find on my Instagram at Valerie Koo, also on Twitter at Valerie Koo, and feel free to connect with me on Facebook. I'm the Valerie Koo in Sydney. And, uh, of course, all of the show notes you'll find so you want to be a writer.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.